A very warm welcome to our presenter today, Dr. Dave Cornelius. Dr. Dave is the value delivery leader at BioRad Laboratories. He influences cross-functional teams to deliver amazing quality products to delight customers. Dr. Dave is the founder of the Five Saturdays program that empowers high school students, students through agility and innovation by providing learning experiences in technology and lean business. He's also the author of Transforming Your Leadership Character, The Lean Thinking and Agility Way, and innovator of the game Agility Leadership. Dr. Dave produces a podcast on iTunes and Google Play titled No Share with Dr. Dave. Good morning, Dave. How are you doing today? Thank you so much Hi. for joining us. Well, thank you so much, Denise, for having me. Um, so now you just need to turn me over to, uh, let's see, not, don't do that. Uh, so I could start sharing my screen. Okay, main screen, show my screen. There you go. I think I'm ready to go. Well, good morning, audience. And with me today, it's a very good friend of mine, Keith Montgomery. Um, he's the principal of Cyber OI. Um, he's a big uh, technology and business leader. He also serves with me on the Leadership Council for the Five Saturdays program, where we empower students to be their very best using agility and technology um, he's also a speaker, professor, trainer, coach, and thought leader. If you want to learn more about Keith, go over to cyberoi.com. Um, he's also you could find him on LinkedIn, and also at Twitter at SDM Framework. Hey, Keith, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful this morning. How are you? Awesome. Um, so we're going to talk about um, our agile teams uh, together forever. So this webinar will focus on team dynamics and how they affect the organization's ability to learn, innovate, and focus on value-driven outcomes. So Bruce Tuckman, in 1965, you know, he did a study of small group dynamics and in introduced this whole concept of forming, norming, or forming, storming, norming, and performing. In 1977, he introduced another element where he talked about adjoining, where teams leave and team members leave. Also, the context of, of reteaming, you know, really help us to share knowledge um, and, and reduce these towers of knowledge where people um, would hoard information. It also helps to, to reduce some um, risk and to make sure that people who are leaving our organization do not walk out the door with all that wonderful knowledge with them. And so my friend Heidi Helfan, she recently released a book called Dynamic Reteaming the Art and Wisdom of Changing Teams, and it's published on Lean Pub. This webinar would cover leverage certain concepts and knowledge gained gleaned from that book. I'm also um, quoted in that book and several different topics about small teams. So I'm also in a situation right now where I have to engage in reteaming because of a new strategy at my organization where we're going to split teams into what I call flagship and next gen. So which means some teams are going to be shifted off to work on next gen and some teams will continue to work on flagship. 
And look, this is a normal course of event in business. You know, team split, pe people come and go. That's just the way it is. So, you know, this is something that is par for the course and not something that's really abnormal and out of the way. Um, our topics for, for today is we're going to talk about team and re-team definition, um, the importance of, uh, of really looking at dynamic uh, team compositions, uh, sustaining healthy uh, team behaviors, and techniques to re-team. So in our learning objectives um, today is that, uh, let me just, I'm having fun here with this wonderful little tool thing. Okay, got it. Uh, we want to establish teams to achieve a healthy flow state, uh, reduce the tower of knowledge syndrome, and uh, build teams capable of winning, because that's what, what it's all about. Um, so what is a team? And what we think is that teams can be found everywhere, right? And they're normally made up of two or more people trying to, to work toward a common outcome. Um, they can be co-located. They can be geographically dispersed. Um, and in our modern times, you know, now teams can even be robots or bots, right? So we're moving along and shifting the way um, of how we think about teams that they're not only people, but they also can be inanimate objects as well. Um, so when you are in a team, you know, you get through the practice of building up a culture. Um, we, we definitely see where people, they form, they storm, they norm, they perform, and definitely adjourn where you have to engage in reteaming and figure out how to build this team and put them back together. Um, we always want to make sure that teams in, in our, our organization is providing value to our customers. And even if you're in a sports team, I mean, when teams are winning and doing a great job, they're providing value to the customers called the fans. So let's talk about the origin of the static agile teams and where did they come from. So somewhere along the line, people came to the conclusion that agile teams should be static and really change. Um, I will even go further and say that people like to be with each other, they find a connection with and do not want to change. So agile talks about co-located teams, teams being in the same room, the same place. And I think somewhere interpreted, somewhere along the, long, that, along the line, that it should be static. And maybe because they had great values. And with agility, people look at the great interactions um, between team members and their ability to get things done fast, inspect and adapt. And also, as you walk through this process, there's a great amount of easier to, to deal with all of the members in a team. So I could see the reason why most people would say that, yeah, you know, we have these co-located teams, never change them. But to me, that's not a reality. And so we want to talk about a little bit about Tuckman's forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. And this is one of the comments view that we have in team dynamics. So, you know, it was established in 1965, revisited in 1977. And when we look at the terms of forming, we look at it coming together and learning habits. Storming, you know, we're pushing the boundaries defined in a forming state. Um, and if I, I know Keith like his coffee mug on the right, maybe I go and move it to the left just for fun. Um, norming, where we're accepting uh, and the resolution of that differences. Performing, where we're hyper-focused on common goals. And joining, where team members leave. Now, Keith, what has been your experience with Tuckman's group dynamics model.
I think if you ignore it, uh, you could run into a lot of problems and a lot of dysfunctional behavior. And I'm a big fan of the storming phase. Uh, a lot of folks like to shortcut it. I actually like to revel in it and have people be prepared for it to come. And so this model allows people to understand that things are going to, uh, usually they shift from forming, storming, norming, but sometimes you go back and forth. So I feel it's a very, very good model. Most excellent. Now, I want to talk about, there's the benefits of having stable teams. Uh, don't get me wrong, you know, but people like dynasties. Uh, you think of the Chicago Bulls, one of my favorites, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Boston, Boston Celtics who come to mind. Um, you know, and one of the common statements that people often make is this, if it's not broken, do not change it. You know, there are good things about stable teams, but change is also healthy. One of the key things is, is that when you have stable teams, yeah, we know what the status quo is, and it's well known. Um, you know, one of the interesting things when you've been around people and teams that have been together for a long time, you find each other, oh, yeah, what John really meant to say was, and they're completing each other's thoughts and statements. And sometimes I joke about it and say that it's really similar to a long-term marriage, as you see the, in the dynamics, how people are, are, are interacting. And so things are well known um, as you integrate with, you know, a long-standing team. So as usual, we always want to make sure that we keep you engaged and understand if you are paying attention or not. So we have our first group interaction and we, what we want to know is Tuckman's small group development model includes A forming, B storming, C norming, D performing, E adjoining, or F all of the above. What do you think um, audience? And so Keith, while we have our audience and we could hear the, the, the gears in their brain like churning right now, um, what else have you used? Where else and what else have you wear Tuckman's um, small group dynamics before in the past? Where else other than the corporate or the organizational environment? Yeah, also, yeah, even in your family. Yeah. You know, anyway, how does that work? Well, yeah, you dynamic? can have relationships. Yeah, friends. Um, friends uh, tend to think that they're going to be able to shortcut the storming as well. And I think when you start actually doing stuff together and getting things going, you have that clunky, you have that clunkiness at the beginning, and it feels. It's often where friendships and relationships, as you know, they, people start to part and go the other ways because they become surprised about it. So, I think in relationships in general, uh, you when we talk about the Five Saturdays program, when we work with the the younger uh, students, um, they, you know, they're going through their own storming, but they haven't formed with us yet, and so we should expect some level of clunkiness, storming. Um, upset, all the things that occur when a person goes through something that is uncomfortable. Uh, most definitely, that's for sure. It's, it's definitely about relationships. Um, so, Denise, how have we fared with our wonderful audience today? Dun, dun, dun. Ah. Huh. Uh, I guess if someone... Um, I'm really surprised because uh, no one selected F, which is all of the above, because Tuckman's small. Can I clarify really quick? I, yeah. I believe that the poll only allows for um, five answers, so if you have that, oh. go ahead and type it in. Some, some people brought that to my attention, too. Well, well thank you so much. 
All right, so F is the right answer because Tuckman's model is about forming, storming, norming, performing, um, and adjoining, okay, all five of them. So let's keep going, Denise, as we move on to our, our next thing. Am I still sharing? Yeah, yeah you're good. Yeah. Good. So what is reteaming? Reteaming is a term that I heard from my friend Heidi. I was at a, an actual conference up north at Berkeley, and she did an, uh, a presentation on reteaming, and I thought it was very interesting, I think talking about team dynamics and composition and the ability for us to really bring teams together in a dynamic way and have a strategy and practice around that. Um, the thing, thing is, is that sometimes reteaming is, could be voluntary or not. So what is reteaming? It's really one or more people leave or join another team. Um, as I said, it was voluntary or involuntary assignment. We could look at team composition, and, you know, it always enters right back into the forming stage. One person leaves, another person comes, and things get a little bit different right? because maybe the person who left was holding everything together, and maybe the person who was coming um, may tear everything apart. So uh, there's a lot of forming that takes place in reteaming, and it's a very healthy thing. Um, and sometimes we have a great shift in just the patterns of the way people connect um, it with each other. So you ask yourself, why would we reteam if there's great benefits to stable teams? You know, I often think about how stale people can become without stimulation of new knowledge and experiences with other people. Um, I know I need that new stimulation. And so I think the reason Reteaming adds value is because it really reduces the tower of knowledge problem. You have one person who has all of the knowledge. That person is, is there, isn't there. You're in a lot of trouble, right? And cross-pollination is a huge thing that we, we look for in our organization today. And so in, in terms of developing cross-functional knowledge across teams, this is a very healthy practice. Um, it, uh, building out a learning community. Um, this is one thing that where I am today that I emphasize that every Friday we have two-hour learning. And that the purpose of that, even though we're, we're is creating a, a kind of like a virtual reteaming in terms of knowledge and knowledge transfer and, and understanding, so, but it also helps us to support organizational growth. And we could also manage our team size because sometimes you have a team that's together 14, 15, 20 people. And if you've heard me speak before, you'd hear me talk about micro teams, small teams of three to five people delivering amazing value to the organization. And it's just amazing that you could take those small teams and interchange people and make sure that they're still humming. But we're going to walk and talk about disruption, which is something as, as a favorite topic of Keith, one, one thing that I do enjoy as well. So I would say disruption is inevitable, right? It, it, it disrupts the, the normal course or the unity of any activity. You could think of reteaming as a form of disruption as it creates new dynamics. And the great thing is that new teams may produce new innovation. So Keith, how would, you, how would reteaming produce positive disruptive value for the organization? Well, if the person in change management, if they're prepared for it, then they're going to look forward to the opportunity, like you said, to meet new people, to get new knowledge, to share their knowledge, um, to be part of something new. Um, so that's, that's the positive side if they were able to harness 
that energy that disruption kind of unleashes. But beyond that, what, what about the organization? If you look at the organization as a whole, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you have this team that people count on for, for producing a new value. Um, how, would, how would we manage through that disruption as well in, in a routining context if you haven't given it a thought? You mean manage through it, or what is the positive that comes from oh, it? Oh, positives. Yeah. So I think the positive is that opportunity for people to think differently, and when they think differently, the new teams could start to self-emerge into something that was much greater than was before. It almost always does happen that way if people are, uh, are embracing it. So because of the fact that maybe they've gotten into a groove, almost like an old record groove, right? And all of a sudden, they're out of that groove, out of that rut, and they're, they've been um, freed up. And the way I've seen it on teams is where you start to see these tiger teams, uh, where people start sharing people from their teams to go to other teams um, and sharing their knowledge and then um, kind of cross-pollinating. And then across the board, the, uh, the organization is much richer as a result of that that organizational intelligence that occurs. Um, I totally agree. Totally agree. It's like a, a bumblebee or a butterfly going from flower to flower, you know, pollinating, um, providing new knowledge, new opportunities, new innovations. So I want to talk about teams as continuous flow, and, and this is more of a, a lean way of thinking about it. So when I think of, think of teams as continuous flow, you know, it's when they're able to generously provide value-driven outcome for the organization. Um, you could think back to uh, the Motown Music Factory, where they would produce hit after hit after hit. Um, this is what I think of when teams are flowing. Um, so people are able to join the teams without skipping a beat. Um, the key attributes of teams with continuous flow are, you know, they're smaller teams. They're consisting of three to five people, what I call micro teams. Um, they establish a positive flow state. And when you think of a positive flow state, it's information that's shifting and, and, and positive outcomes that are flowing in an organization and even between teams. So, you know, I don't know if you sometimes you have a day when things are just clicking. All things are working. There's no impediments. And that's what we think about as having a positive flow state. And we have the ability and skills to, to complete goals, you know, really easily. Uh, our focus is really hyper-focused. It's a hyper-focused state. We're really making sure that we're getting things done. And no one cares who, who gets credit. Everyone swarms to build the next new uh, set of features uh, within the organization. Um, just checking in with you guys to see what you're doing and then how you're feeling or you're paying attention. So hopefully um, our tool would allow us to, uh, you know, give you enough information to answer this question. So a good reason to retain is to reduce the power, the tower of knowledge uh, problem. Is that true or false? Denise, let's let's talk about that. Hey, so Keith, let's talk about uh, continuous flow for teams. And, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? I know you and I love lean. And, and so where, where are you with that in terms of having that level of flow in your in your teams? Well, when you introduce disruption, obviously you introduce a disruption of that flow, right? But then you open the door to uh, you know a larger, maybe aperture for that flow. So there's there's all that aspect of when you're 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 really trying to achieve continuous flow, and as you know, that's usually a pull 
a pool organization, right? So like yeah. Yeah, Kanban and other types of, of tools that you would use in Lean. But at the end of the day, um, allowing for teams to be able to find their own way together, and I like the micro-team approach as well, because you can have them cross-pollinate, you can help them help each other get uh, things that are impediments or obstacles or wastes out of the way, um, and it's a lot easier to see if you're in these smaller teams and you're, you're, you're cross-pollinating. And so you just keep, keep, uh, you know, keep finding things that are basically breaking up flow and uh, helping each other um, as micro-teams individually, teams as well as across the board, all the teams find, their, find the spots that are, are slowing them down. Most definitely. Where are we, Denise, with our, our wonderful uh, audience today? Ah, I guess when the tool works, people are able to uh, provide um, the most appropriate answer. So yes, the answer is true. A, true, a good reason to reteam is to reduce the tower of knowledge problem. Moving along, building trust. Trust is hard work, and it's not really easy to obtain. So when I think of trust, and what recently I attended uh, a kind of like a, a conference with some professors from Bradman University, and their definition of trust was something different than I thought. And they say, trust is about ability, can get things done. Trust is about empathy, empathy can relate to, to others. And trust is about integrity, can do the right thing. So look, I believe trust is obtained and experienced through validated learning. And it's something that's, that takes time to establish. Um, Keith, in, in your um, experience with trust in teams and team members, I mean, how would you apply the same concept of looking at ability, empathy, and integrity as cornerstones for a trust in a relationship in a team? Well, this is another hot button, just like disruption for me. Um, for me, if you don't have trust, you you can't really get anywhere to the flow or all the different things that we're talking about, all the good things that we're talking about in Agile. So obviously, where I start is at the individual level and saying, does the individual trust themselves? So do they really feel they have the ability? Do they feel like they can connect? And integrity is doing what I say I'm going to do in my world. So but can doing the right thing um, can be a variant of that. If the person has the ability to trust themselves, then they can be inside of a team. And if the team has the same ability to trust themselves, then it becomes a lot easier to establish that people are going to follow through, where they're going to make clear agreements and they're going to follow through with those agreements so that they can build on that trust, like you were saying, a validated learning exercise as opposed to someone just trying to, to convince you or persuade you that you should trust them. Sure, certainly. So as part of that, that, that exercise and that activity of understanding people's ability, integrity, um, it's also assessing the team. You know, I said before embarking on a re-team, ask powerful questions about the desired outcome. What do you want out of this? Um, why, what changes are needed to help introduce reteaming as a value? Uh, one thing that we, I try to do is look at an exercise like circles and soup. Um, we always want to know, like, what's in the team's control as part of this assessment? Um, how much influence, you know, we're looking at six degrees of separation, um, do, uh, the team has with each other and outside of their circle. And, you know, 
Where are, are the things that you do not have control um, or influence? Where do those things exist? And, and how do we kind of like mitigate them or even ignore them because they could just be noise? Um, the thing is, it's like how do we weather the dynamics of change in the, in the process? So there's a few things that we look at in terms of just assessing the team. And if you notice with, with the team exercises that we're bringing teams together to kind of participate in the process of change. Um, uh, critical to, you know, the success and building a high-performing organization is composition is, is really important, right? It's important to have composition, um, the right team member, and so you understand the talent that's needed to achieve that objective. Um, you know, like I said, I, I'm a big fan of micro teams. It's one of the things that I've been talking about now for the last year or two, and I've been pushing that wherever I, I am. Um, it's really having small team sizes of three to five people and having quite a few teams that you could bring them together, swarm, mob, um, peer, whatever it takes to, to get the job done. Um, it's, you know, do you need just a straight-up cross-functional team or is it just technical people alone? And sometimes it's better to have cross-functional teams because you have different contexts and a different view of things. And we've got to have strong support for each other on the team, right, as part of the composition. So um, these are the things that you, you want to think about as you're going through the reteaming exercise and you're trying to put teams back together. we got to understand talent needed, keep it small, make sure you have the right people involved, and make sure that support is there. So, uh, yeah, look, alignment, you know, among team members really drive better innovation. I mean, and we, we, I'm sure you've seen that in, in different scenarios. So we want to know if, if there is a clear purpose and direction. Where are we going? What are we trying to achieve? Um, how do we share that and make sure everyone in, in the organization understands that? Um, that we understand what needs to be accomplished, and those things are clearly articulated, and people could actually spit that back or share that back um, with each other and across the team. Um, make sure that people could get feedback in a timely way, because there's nothing like sending out an inquiry, and then maybe you get that void of noise or the void of silence where no one is responding back in, in a timely manner. Um, and I like to commit to winning as a team. I believe that that is such a fun thing. And you could see it. You know, I just recently watched the, the Golden State Warriors win as a team. You see them jumping and cheering. I, I think that is just such an amazing feeling when, it's, when you win as a team and you get things done, you're high-fiving. I mean, that all comes from alignment. And well, let's go ahead and test to see where our teams are or, or people are today and, and just thought. And so I am asking, trust is based on ability, empathy, and integrity. Is that true or false? So, Keith, let's talk about alignment um, in, in the organization or alignment in team members. You know, what are some tools or tips or tricks that you have up your sleeve that you use to help drive alignment with, with team members? I tend to use analogies and then make sure that management understands their role and accountability to the team. It's just, it's a two-way street. So the analogy I use is if they've ever shot a bow and arrow, and it's, it's fun to do that if you go out and have a target. Um, it's no fun if you just go out there and you're shooting the bow and the arrow and you don't have a target. So you win by getting a bullseye or getting points in, in, in archery, right? But if you, yeah. don't have a, if you don't have a target, 
and you're not clear about that target, uh, and, you, and you don't have a feedback that when you hit the target, you know you hit the target, then it becomes, it becomes very messy. So being able to, to make sure management understands they have a role, and the role is telling people whether they, they were hitting the target or close to the target, and what that target was, and do it in a timely fashion, and understanding there's a consequence if management doesn't do that, right? That they shouldn't be expecting the teams to hit the targets, or if, if the teams do, it's, it's by luck, and so the management understands their, their responsibility in that servant leadership role. Oh, that's such a key term, servant leadership. Um, you know, just really taking care of the people entrusted to your care. It's a great definition uh, of servant leadership. Uh, Denise, how is our team doing out there in terms of their understanding of trust? Ah, yeah, this is awesome. That people understand that trust is based on ability, empathy, and integrity. Um, hopefully, um, you guys will take this to heart as you go forward and work with your team members and work with the organization itself that we, we understand that trust is based on these three cornerstones. Okay, uh, why would we re-team? What are the triggers? And, and so let's look at a, a few things that what I think that are triggers um, to help the organization re-team or even why. So sometimes we just say we're going to rotate based on time. Every quarter we're going to shift teams from, uh, you know, for people from one team to the next because that may make a lot of sense because it means that our organization is delivering frequently in, in short cycles. And so even on a monthly basis, you may say, you know, we're driving value every month. Maybe, you know, we could handle shifting people around in, in that short frequency. Maybe we extend it out to a three-month time on a quarterly basis, and we find a way to shift teams. Um, one of the practices that I engage in is um, big room planning, where every quarter come together as an organization and we plan work for the next quarter. To me, that would be also an appropriate time of where you start shifting team members around as you begin planning work for the next quarter. Or even on a semi-annual basis, every six months, we get together and figure out where teams could go or team members could go. And, and you know, you give them a choice. And so managers could decide when to change teams. And oftentimes, that's the practice. Managers have said, oh, it's time to break the team up. They're getting stale, static. And, but also, maybe it would be a, a really interesting concept of, of having where team members decide when change is needed, where they're actively in, involved in, in the process, like almost having a marketplace. And also organizational change also dictate team shifts. Um, so, Keith, just out of just curiosity and, and – and, uh, and, discussion, what would you think, uh, you know, if we had to have a marketplace for team members to come together and decide which team they want to join or, or what they want to work on, what would that look like? Well, I think it could be an interesting uh, environment. Uh, I think that there's going to be definite pros and cons because you will have people that probably don't want to change and don't, don't want uh, that marketplace to exist. So I think you have to have uh, a fluid um, kind of democratic, uh, you know, rules behind it, right? So yeah. if you did that, I mean, it would be, 
because I mean, there, there's pros and cons to to a lot of these things. And I think if we put people on cadences or put marketplaces out there, that people that probably aren't so on board with that, we've got to have a place for them too, and we have to have a effective servant leadership. Make sure that they're developed in the way that allows them to feel more and more comfortable. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, and so it brings us to the next topic of when new team members become part of the team, you know, I believe early integration is needed to achieve the desired success that you want. And as part of that practice is really how do we make members feel safe in the team? That no matter what team they, they land on, um, there's always a space for them to come in and get work done because that's the focus. Um, where we're leveraging peering to share knowledge and experiences as, as part of our integration practice. Um, and, and it's really getting into that great feedback loop where we're feeding and sustaining healthy behaviors as part of integration. And, you know, looking at, at how we self-assess and look at how we're getting moving forward. So I think if we put these four elements, there may be an opportunity for team members to feel you know, more integrated as part of the team. Um, also, as team culture, you know, as a new team, you know, you think of the development of a culture of the adoption of the organization, and it's really important. And we want to identify, you know, what are our shared beliefs as a team and in, in, in the culture we put together. We, we want to make sure that, they, yeah, they're safe there. Um, we're still pairing. We're, we're still sharing stuff. Um, we're healthy and, and sustaining. And we're still assessing and making sure that um, we could hit those key targets. Now, let's look at a group interaction where we're asking, what is team integration about? Um, is it A, safety in the teams? Is it B, sharing knowledge through pairing? Is it C, sustaining healthy behaviors? D, frequent assessment? Or E, all of the above? What about team culture, Keith? Um, team culture is so huge. Um, how does that help with reteaming in, in terms of being able to shape the culture of a team as a group? Well, for me, it's organizational culture that allows for lots of team cultures to exist in it, but it's about them speaking the same language. So they have one overall culture, and then the teams themselves align to that. And for me, integration and the, the aspects you're talking about here, trust is absolutely essential, and I think safety in teams is going to be very important, but you're not going to feel safe unless you trust yourself and you trust the culture that you're in, and then therefore the teams can, can create their own smaller cultures, but at all times making sure that they speak the same language um, as, as the overall organizational culture. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I think that is, is it's, um, so important for to create the space for teams to really engage and build a culture that they need, you know, in their local pods, right, or in, in their local tribe, you know, as, as well as um, adopting some of the aspect of the organization as well. So what are our teams saying out there in terms of team integration? Yeah, yeah, I, I think people are spot on that um, team integration is about all of the above, all of the good stuff. Um, 
So we're going to keep moving in terms of our, our next topic. And really, this is a summary where we come to an end. I wanted to leave enough space for dialogue if we needed to have that and for more questions um, in, in this webinar. So when we think about teens, you know, teens are dynamic and they're not static. We, we know that teens shift. Um, we want to retain when we want to achieve specific outcomes. And also it's just a way of us bringing the right people at the right time for the right results. And key to me is developing a learning community where knowledge and, and experiences can be shared through multiple teams and to achieve the, the desired outcome for the organization. Now, what I'd like to see, I mean, what questions do we have for Keith and I so that we could walk through and really give you a response and maybe we may even have questions for you guys. Well, you never know. So what are people asking, Denise? I think we'll give them a couple um, minutes to type in their question. Oh, okay. I, I thought they would be doing that along the way. Just kidding. But so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Keith, you know, what is it like building teams out there um, as we, you know, you and I have been cons a consultant for a long time. And, you know, what has been your experience of walking into an organization and participating in reteaming? Because essentially that's what we do as we, you know, as we go from organization to organization. Uh, what is that like for you? Well, theory is very different than reality, right? And, and the first thing you have to do is come into an organization and not think you have all the answers and realize that they have things that have been working for them and not to throw out the good stuff with in the bad stuff with the good stuff. So I think the first thing is that making sure you really look at the organization as its own entity and 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 you honor that. Um, I, I do believe that you know teams um, Sometimes teams form just because they formed. It was there was no real aim to it. It just happened. And this one over a period of time, they, they created their own culture, and it was kind of what worked for them. And um, like you said, things can get very stag stagnant. Um, they can basically start to make up their own rules. They can start to do other things. So to see what those are and to be able to uh, ask the good questions that allow them to start to see themselves more closely regarding the value that they deliver and being able to come to their own conclusions almost in a Socratic way sometimes. So that's more my my way of doing things. But I do definitely start with the language and making sure that an organization operationally, they, they truly can speak the same language um, so that the teams can start to understand themselves through the lens of the organization that they're part of. You certainly don't want to create the Tower of Babel, do you? Oh, I've been, I've seen many of those. That, 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 that story makes a lot of sense when you start to see what happens in organizations and, and the kind of stuff and the kind of teams or the kind of, kind of waste or just um, dysfunctional behavior that can occur if uh, people are basically screaming at each other and they're saying the same things, but they're speaking a very different language. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, Denise, how are we coming along with questions? Uh, good. So here's your first question. 
uh, for both of you, what's the biggest challenge you've had to face when reteaming um, something that you had not already envisioned? Keith, I'll give you, as, as our guest, I'll give you the first pass and then I'll follow up. You're too kind. Uh, <laughs> the biggest challenge, uh, this is one of those like interview questions where you're like on the spot and you weren't prepared for it. Um, I, I think the biggest challenge is, and the biggest thing to always remember is, you know, machines, when they break, you, you can troubleshoot and you can fix them. People, even though we, we, we tend to have a lot of the same problems, it's the combination of problems that get you. So people are always, for me, in politics, are always the ones where um, it, there's a, there was a big problem, for example, where it was a complete impasse, and I thought that I could work it out in the executives. There were, there were certain executives that were just really not only speaking not they weren't speaking the same language, but they were at the place where um, I mean it was brutal. It was it was it was almost to the point of violence. Um, and and so I thought you could I could bring folks back uh, off that ledge. But the things that had been under the bridge that were there, um, basically one executive left, and um, it was just on their own accord. But it was there was a point where it, it was just way too much that was there that I couldn't even become aware of because all I was seeing is the tip of the iceberg. And the tip of the iceberg was pretty scary, but I didn't realize that there was more there. So I think the biggest the biggest problem that I've encountered are when there's so much water under the bridge that um, it's very, very hard to understand how are we going to reteam, how are we going to integrate this organization and bring them into one culture. Yeah, I, and I, I completely agree. Politics, politics is the one of the the biggest factors that helps to derail uh, reteaming. Um, it's that you you have a people, a group of people who have been at the organization for a long time, and you know, like Keith said before, yeah, you, you come in and you're not you need to bring about change because that's what you were asked to do bring about change because we're not succeeding, we're static, we're stale. But the politics of individuals who may have a different perspective is always one of the biggest challenge. And they have the connections within the organization up and down and across. So oftentimes that could be something that could easily derail um, what you're trying to achieve. Um, so I hope that uh, brought some insights um, to the, the person who asked that question. Um, what's the next question, Denise? Thank you. Um, how do you integrate a team member who does not seem to fit in with the other team members? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll go first this time, team, Keith, and then I'll let you get a chance to respond to that. Uh, you know, it, those are really hard, right? I mean, it's it's like an, an organizational change. You'll always have a level of resistance um, who comes in, you know, with, with individuals who are new to a team. The, the question is, um, how do you find a way to, to either allow that person to con contribute to what's going on with the team or you find another space for that person to, to exist and have their level of success? I, you know, it's not always where you could make someone really fit into a team. There are times when people just don't fit. And if they don't fit, it's like, where else can we make you fit? Because, you know, if you think about it, you know, people are in an organization for specific reasons. They were hired for 
by someone because they had some value. And sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's important to really understand what are those values that they bring to the organization and how do you find a space where they can succeed. But I also think coaching is tremendous in, in this aspect in really helping people to recognize, um, do I want to be a part of this change or not? And, and, and if the answer is no, well, the question is, well, how do I get you to find a place, whether it's within the organization or outside of this organization, because that's also an option um, to allow that person to exist and thrive. Because I think one of the things that could be most unfair is for people to continue to coddle individuals who are not contributing value to the organization. I, I think it's almost cruel to a certain extent that um, we should help those individuals find their passion, because that's what it's all about. Keith? Yeah, I really agree with the last thing you said. Um, the first thing I would do, though, is I would try to empathize and understand what's the root cause of this person not being on board. The fact is, is they might be right. Um, they, they actually may be realizing something that the team doesn't, and so they may be the person sticking their head up and saying, I'm not going to be part of this change because you guys are you guys are going to fall off a cliff. So I would root cause it and understand what is driving them because if we continue to look at that target that I talked about before, like value, then we start to realize this person is speaking in value terms and we may realize that um, um, they have given us the wisdom necessary to have the teams come back or tweak themselves in a different way that they weren't expecting. The other thing I look for, though, is management. Um, if they've not changed, so if I've been hired on in a company and um, the manager that hired me on told me they hired me for this XYZ purpose, and I'm continuing to, to be able to knock it out of the park, that purpose, but now the purpose has supposedly changed. But the manager who hired me on never told me it's changed. They've never changed my compensation or incentive policy. I'm, of course, going to do what I have been incentivized to do, what I was hired for. So the other component is really making sure management, like you said, Dr. Dave, is the coaching component of saying, we're going to need to change this. If you, if you want these folks to do something differently, then you're going to have to compensate and incentivize them to do so, because otherwise you, you hire them for a purpose, and they're, again, they're right in sticking their hand up and saying, wait, this isn't, this isn't correct. And the final thing that I look for because it exists, and this is what you were saying, uh, Dr. Dave, is the victim mentality or the people looking for the oppressor, you know, we can't coddle people. Um, when people start to act that way, if it's that type of root cause, we have, one, a coaching opportunity, but this is where, you know, not every person's right for an organization. If someone's looking for an oppressor or they're, the, they're playing the victim and then the team or people are trying to coddle them because I don't know what's politically correct. I don't, I don't, whatever the reason, it doesn't matter. Um, it kills and hurts the whole team, and it could really hurt the whole organization. So to be able to, to make sure you understand what that root cause is, is, is really vital. And a lot of times they are right, though. Uh, management did not do their job and understand what they needed to change in order to make sure this person understood what they're supposed to be doing. Absolutely. So, Denise, I think with 849, do you think we have time for one more, or should we move on? Do one more. Um, okay. What techniques or tools would you recommend when a te when team dynamics are being sullied by management issues? 
Did you say bullied? Bullied. So like um, damaged or. So you're saying that management is destroying uh, the d dynamics of the team? Right. So what would you do? Uh, well, normally I'll, I'll take the manager or the management group and, you know, get them in some public flogging, something of that sort. No, I'm just being silly. <laughs> um, the, the thing is, you have to, you know, engage with management as well, make sure that they understand the importance of allowing teams to be self-organizing and allow teams to, to really use the skills that they have because look we normally hire people because they have a certain talent and or we have developed that talent in that person as part of the organization and when managers you know fail to realize that they are more in a role of servant leadership you know then that becomes a detriment to the team so the, my thing is just to keep it short is, is to ensure that we start talking about servant leadership and we start doing workshops around servant leadership and how important that is to give space for teams to grow and do their work but also hold them accountable all right i mean and, and to me that could be so freeing as a manager where if you have a lot of people reporting to you how awesome would it be to to check in on a two-week basis or even a weekly basis just in, in the context of you know what's doing what's going well for you you know what are your challenges and 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 how can i help i know something like that it's really where you start shifting the way uh, managers think about you know leading people right because we need to get people out of the management stuff and get them more into the leading people uh, and that's my context on that yeah i'll take a few on that one i, I don't really have too much to add except for back to that root cause. Um, what do we mean by damaging the team? What do we mean by damaging the organization? And back to, we talked about the team members, they didn't get direction from their management. Well, did these managers get direction from their executives or the board? Because again, if we're not in alignment, they're doing what they were incentivized to do. And so from the team's point of view, they seem like they're the devil. <laughs> From the manager's point of view, they're doing what they were hired to do. So I think when we start getting into you know people stuck in the command and control uh, management styles as opposed to what we're seeing the servant leadership, um, we need to make sure we understand did they get their direction? Did they did their incentive uh, and compensation change? Uh, these are all very important things because without that level of sponsorship. Um, what ends up happening in my experience is Agile becomes a forced uh, environment to the organization, and it's the opposite of what you want to do with Agile, but it becomes this micromanagement tool for these type of managers. So I would quickly understand what is going on in that overall management executive system so that we could understand is this person an outlier, or are they just really following what they're supposed to be following and uh, not knowing why people hate them so much. <laughs> All right, Denise, okay. I think we we have a, a, a tight stop at nine, so should we continue? And and just to let everyone know as an audience, um, you know, if you have questions that weren't answered in this webinar, I, I do go out of my way to um, put your questions on my blog at nalshare.org. 
and um, we'll provide that information and, uh, um, and answers to that. So you could always check back in there, and you would find that when I send out my um, my monthly newsletter. So go out to nowshare.org, and you could gather some really awesome information there about different topics that we, we talk about. Um, I have a set of cards that's coming out, and we're, we're almost done with these cards called Agility Leadership, uh, where we introduce new topics. So um, I've announced this before. If you have ideas that you would like to contribute to the card, um, for a small fee, you could do that. But hopefully within the next month, we'll have you know, a set of these cards available for sale that you could take and help you know, improve your organization, improve members, your team members. So go out there and check out agilityleadership.com. Um, my book, um, Transforming Your Leadership Character, The Lean Thinking and Agility Way, it's out there on Amazon. And also we have last year's game, um, Agility Leadership, where you could actually use that. There's two decks that, that helps you to introduce lean and agile practices to the organization. Uh, Keith and I, we spend uh, our summers and even during the year where we're empowering students with agility and innovation. So we just kicked off um, last week, Saturday, with about 20 students, and we bring in professionals like you who are listening um, right now to this webinar, and we teach high school students agile practices. We're teaching them how to build mobile application this year, and we're also teaching them how to start a business. How amazing is that, where we have four... 14 to 19 year olds who are really in there and engaging. So if you want to learn more, I say go to www.the5saturdays.org and check out our site, um, give a donation. It really helps us to keep our program going because this is a nonprofit. And, um, you know, yeah, just if you want to get involved and start a Five Saturdays program in your neighborhood, uh, go there as well. We'll help you to get that started. Um, I do a podcast. Um, called grokshare.com, but it's also known as Nileshare with Dr. Dave on iTunes and Google Play. Um, I interviewed Keith um, just recently about disruption. So you could find him there on that, that podcast. And a lot of the information that we gather here as part of this webinar is also available um, in that podcast as well. Um, if you want to reach out to, to me, you could ping me at Twitter at Nileshare. Email is customercare at nileshare.org. And then go to our website at nalshare.org. Um, Denise, thank you so much for sharing this time with us this morning. Of course, we'd like to thank our audience, as usual, for joining us today. Um, we will see you next time. Till then, guys, take care. Bye now. Look for the Nalshare with Dr. Dave podcast on iTunes and Google Play. The Nalshare with Dr. Dave podcast is hosted on grokshare.com. If you have any questions for Dr. Dave, reach out on Twitter at drdaveinfo or at nalshare. This podcast and interview produced by Dr. Dave Cornelius. Copyright 2017, Nalshare. Nalshare with Dr. Dave. Nalshare with Dr. Dave. Nalshare.